Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan, and just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And you can always find us on irishtimes.com. Also, if you like what you hear in our two episodes a week, uploaded on Mondays and Thursdays, please do go to iTunes and write a review there telling everybody else why you think this podcast is the bee's knees or the cat's pyjamas or whatever you're having yourself. Now, we hope you're looking forward to your long weekend. Hail glorious St. Patrick and all that shamrockery to you. We've got a great episode lined up. We're calling it Fifty Shades of Green Shield Stamps. And if you're too young to remember what Green Shield Stamps were, then you're going to get a bit of an education listening to this episode. Let's just say it was kind of like the lottery back in the day in Ireland, except you didn't get money, you got stamps. And the stamps meant you could accumulate all sorts of things for your house. So it's 1974 and Ger Lawless, who lives in Ballymun Flats, has just won a million Green Shield stamps and she's getting everything going. Oh, and you know those glasses with the palm trees on them? Well, I'm taking a set of them too, because Lily de Corsi got a set of them last year on account of her holiday to the Canaries, and she paid a fortune for them. But mine are free. She'll be bloody living, so she will. That was the voice of Marion O'Dwyer there, and she plays the insufferable Ger Lawless in The Unmanageable Sisters in the Abbey Theatre. When we saw the posters for this play and discovered it has a cast of 15 women, we couldn't resist sending Roisin Ingle backstage to talk to the women about the production of the play. That's from Quebec, which is originally written by Michelle Tremblay and adapted by Deirdre Kinahan and set in 1970s Ballymun. So here it is, our unmanageable sister, Roisin Ingle, meets the cast of Unmanageable Sisters at the Abbey Theatre in Dublin. Roll it there, Roisin. So my name is Rachel Dowling. And I play Ruthie Barrett. Ruthie is uh, one of the Magdalene women. Um, and there's a sort of duo of Ruthie Barrett and Angela Smith, played by Catherine. And uh, we're um, sort of new arrivals at, in the Ballymun complex, sort of seven years. But we've been basically in the Magdalene laundry, reared in a convent. Since we were born, uh, we were born at wedlock, both of us. Neither of us were adopted. And so we worked our way up through the laundry, the various uh, levels of slavery that existed within that system. And uh, my character chooses to be good, to be ro- to be pious, to be um, uh, not to draw attention to herself, because underneath it all, she has a plan to get herself and uh, her, you know, friend and really the, the only person that she experiences love with in her life out of the convent eventually and because of their goodness and piousness they end up getting a job as housekeepers through the priest and they end up getting a flat from the corporation in Ballymun and so we are the sort of other if you know the, the women in this play are already the other uh, so we're the other other and uh, and we're invited to this 
stamp sticking party um, and a sort of uh, I suppose there's a sort of epiphany for my character that happens during the during the play and um, yeah so I uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone but no, no, you know that that I was a child in that <laughs> era. But, uh, yeah, so the Green Shield stamps were basically little stamps that you could collect, I think, every time you spent maybe two quid, two pounds at the time, or three pounds, you would get, say, three stamps to stick in a little book. And if you filled the book, there was a brochure that enabled you to gain a prize. And there was probably a, uh, a draw for the potential for winning a million Green Shield stamps. Ger Lawless enters that draw... She wins and is given a million stamps. And with a million stamps in those days, how many books could you fill and how many prizes could you win? She basically is going to refurnish her Ballymun apartment flat, you know. And I imagine there's some jealousy around that among some of the people who come to stick in the stamps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. And, um, yeah, there, there, a theme that kind of runs through the play is this idea of being a winner and... Uh, you know, on a kind of bigger political level, it would be the sort of encouragement of the capitalist structure versus, you know, this social experiment that was Ballymun in this sort of socialist structure, all very loose terms. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yes, so being a winner, therefore, potentially... You're buying into the capitalist system, but in buying into the capitalist system, then you become individualist. And a lot of these women would have come from horrific poverty, deprivation, malnourishment. Uh, and yet a lot of, and this is not in any way to romanticize their lives in Sean McDermott Street and Sheriff Street and all of the inner city women that were shipped out to Ballymun but, sorry I'm, I'm going on now but, um, but, but th there was also at the heart of that was community and the social experiment that went horribly wrong was putting all of these wonderful people in the sky um, without any thought for community and for their mental health and well-being and so um, I suppose an underlying pressure and desire was to get out of there and that instilled a kind of a self-centred individualism and uh, so and, and apart from that all of the sort of McQuaid dev repression pressure all of that pressing down yeah. on top of them you know and that causes a kind of um, pressure cooker obviously yeah. and so that comes out in the play in a wonderfully comedic <laughs> but also poignant uh, often uh, grotesque, um, dark way. Hello, I'm Lisa Lamb, and I am playing the character of Patsy Gearan. Uh, she is the youngest of four girls. Um, the lovely Karen Ardiff is my sister, and so is Charlotte Bradley in a different way. She's my she's my sisterhood sister. Um, Patsy is has left home um, when she was seventeen. She falls in love with a man called Charlie, who's a bit older than her. Um, she, ran, she runs away from home, essentially, um, and the girls haven't seen her for a long time. And on this particular night, this fateful night, she returns for the stamp-sticking party to see her sisters and their friends who have all gathered. And she's not welcomed very much because they believe that she is a lady of the night, that she is working on Fitzwilliam Square. Um, Patsy has her own monologue and her story to tell within the play as it, as it, um, as it goes on. But... Uh, she is a bit lost um, 
she's trying her best to put on a mask, put on the brave face, and, and um, you know, she has her vanity case with her little bottle of gin just to keep her going. Um, we all need a bit of gin sometimes. <laughs> it depends. It depends on the night. It could be. Hi, I'm Charlotte Bradley, and I play Lily de Courcy, who has moved out of the flats and married well, if you like. Uh, and again, ha- has this facade of perfection and uh, dresses beautifully and is set apart, but really is also quite isolated, lonely, fits in nowhere. She doesn't fit in at home with her friends, who she obviously wants to still connect with. And through her monologue, a lot of the women have a monologue. You see that she also doesn't fit in in Glasnevin, where she now is living the dream. So she's a very sad character, really, but funny, very funny. Everybody's very funny at times. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name's Karen Ardiff, and I play Rose O'Brien, who's one of the four sisters in the piece Sister sisters, not sisterhood sisters, because there's 15 of those, as Lisa pointed out. Rose is, uh, she's kind of an interesting character in that she, uh, I think you get very early with her that something is up with her. She's very volatile. A lot of, you know, the other characters in particular, her sisters, are always trying to go, Rose, don't get started, don't start. Uh, So you get a sense that, you know, full frontal lobe failure might follow at any moment, and it does at certain (laughs) points. And uh, she, you know, she's quite playful and she'll make sort of sexual innuendos and that. And, and, but later on, she reveals quite a different set of moral standards. Uh, that's, that's really, I think, quite, quite shocking. And she has quite a judgmental monologue about uh, sort of in terms of women and sex and uh, abortion and stuff like that, doesn't she? What's very interesting is that that isn't her monologue. Uh, that's actually her dialogue. And it's and yes, absolutely, and her, her views are shocking. You have to sometimes speak quite quickly to not let the audience go, what did she just say? And it's immediately followed by a monologue which reveals a very dark truth that... I, th- I think completely unseats people's understanding and I think it does take the writing is quite brilliant and Deirdre's version of Vishal Tremblay's thing is quite brilliant in that just when you personally have allowed yourself the luxury of disapproving of someone then you go you go if that I've made a gesture there, but I hope that the vocal <laughs> worked there. That was me with a lift plummeting down four flights, basically, uh, to go four layers underneath that and go, oh, my God, I'm starting to understand a lot more about, I think, my mother, my grandmother, and much more importantly, me and all of my contemporaries. There are Mariana's trenches of backstory to everything in a woman's life in this play. But, of course, the surface of it is it's satire and it's vicious and therefore it's really hyster- hysterical in all the words. In fact, we could unpick that word forever with this play. <laughs> you know, it's fantastic. Um, so 1970s Ballymun, immersing yourself into that, what's that been like? And also having all these women on stage, which I think is quite unusual. It's unusual and it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. What we don't have at all 
is egos trying to push in and steal and none of that. It's so supportive, isn't it? Are you saying that that normally happens with actors? I have heard uh, that that can happen and it doesn't happen at all in this piece. I mean, genuinely, it is probably the most supportive rehearsal space I've ever been in, you know, on film, television or theatre. And we've had a lot of time together is this seven weeks mm, or eight really. weeks at yeah, this stage? Yeah. And it's just been just so wonderful, so wonderfully supportive and so much fun and so much hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, but everybody supporting each other and putting in your spoke when somebody else, you know, maybe needs something, you know, there's somebody there. And it's a wonderful thing. I've just come off a one-woman show. And to be on stage with all these women and know... They totally have my back, no matter what I do. I'm not going to mess it up, please God. But if I do, I know they're there, you know, and they really are there. Like, it's wonderful. Lisa, being one of the younger members of the cast, what have you, what have you found about, what have you learnt about sort of the 1970s in Ireland and what has surprised you and what hasn't surprised you? Um, well, what's always kind of in the front of my mind is what Graham always says to us, even from the first day we were in rehearsals, was, who are you here for? Who are you doing this for? And as Karen was saying, like the ancestors are very much part of um, I, really pouring into the work and Deirdre's script is just phenomenal. Um, the 70s, I visited recently with the train, with Rough Magic, um, um, you know, and those those amazing women, you know, Mary Kenny, Nell McCafferty. Um, so I feel like I'm, I'm revisiting a time that, I, I, you know, I feel I love, actually. I mean, it was a very, very challenging time for women. And of course, you know, I, I think the script... Um, is allowing all the voices, um, dark and light, uh, to come through. Like the character I'm playing, Patsy, doesn't appear until just before the interval, but she's spoken of um, so much. And it's great with the script that you get a chance with, with these inner monologues that you get to share and let people actually, you're kind of saying, you know, listen, this is actually who I am. This is not, you know, what you've heard about me. There's a blister of truth there, but it's not actually what, what's really happening. But um, the 70s, my goodness. I mean, Lino. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the list goes on. I mean, I mean, what, what chair is going to buy with the stamp? Had you heard of Greenshield stamps, Lisa, in the young one? OK, I'm going to admit I hadn't. So I had to ask my mum. And yeah, my, I'm the youngest of 10. So I have seven brothers, two sisters. And of course, once I told them I was doing this play, I mean, the, the thought of the idea of it alone, I mean, they were so excited about it. And I know from my mom and her sisters and that generation, I mean, I'm so, so excited for them to to see this. And, um, you know, and as I said, they're, they're not going to get to see this um, pastel painted version of what women were like in the 70s. They're getting to see... Fifty Shades of Green here, like it's yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fifty Shades of Green Shield stamps. Oh my God, you just wrote the poster. It's a pity. It's a pity they done them already. <laughs> I know. Gosh, um, I have too much time on my hands. Obviously, backstage. No, but um, you know, it's it, it's a fascinating thing. That, you know, Deirdre's work is amazing, and you know, as as Charlotte was saying, like the the camaraderie is amazing. I did one play here in the Abbey. Um, many years ago which was with Rosalind Linehan which was the house of Bernarda Alba I think there might have been 10 women on the stage but not 15 so it's amazing and and as we said I think all the ghosts and all the ancestors are there with us and at the end of the play we get to sing Aaron Naveen which has been a really really powerful thing My name is Raina O'Grady and I play Dolly Snow who um, is possibly the most innocent of all of the women 
definitely a little bit naive and has a little spark of hope in her life in relation to men. Okay, all right, short and sweet. Uh, my name is Marion O'Dwyer and I'm playing Jer Lawless and I've just won a million Green Shield stamps. <laughs> You're the woman who's just won the million Green Shield stamps, amazing. Yes, and I'm a little bit insufferable about it, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so uh, she's pretty materialistic and it's all, all about the stuff and what she's going to get. Now, speaking of the stuff, could you list out the stuff that Jer wants to buy with her million Green Shield stamps? Oh my God, there's a very long list. Yes, she wants to get a new cooker, a new fridge, a new Formica table with four chairs. She wants to get uh, new pots, new cutlery, non-stick frying pan, uh, soda stream, electric carving knife, uh, glasses with palm trees on them and there's a full colonial bedroom suite uh, with full accessories there's lots of stuff and uh, she's going to decorate the living room with lava lamps and brass ashtrays and you name it <laughs> and uh, tell me about the insufferable bit are people secretly who come to help her stick the stamps in are most of them secretly hating her and are jealous of her or are they kind of supportive and, help and really delighted for her well I mean they all come over to help her stick in the stamps which is really pretty good of them and uh, I think she's so insufferable about what she's going to get and she's um, not exactly saying oh there'll be a book for you at the end of this so you can buy a toaster or whatever you know so uh, eventually I think they turn because of that. My name is Mary O'Driscoll and the character I play is Yvonne. Uh, Yvonne has one daughter called Kira, and Kira has just gotten married um, and there may be some problems or issues around the date of the marriage. The marriage has been brought forward a little bit, but she really wants to talk about the wedding cake and the fact that her daughter has been to the Canary Islands. So um, she's really excited about that and just dying to dig in and be part of the gang. So she's probably not as life and soul of the party as everybody else is, I think. Mm. Okay. What's it been like working with so many women? Um, is this an unusual thing? Is this like, uh, what's it been like? Yeah, it's very unusual. Unfortunately, it's been absolutely wonderful. In fact, I could get emotional about it. It's just unbelievable how supportive, how much love, how much generosity, the energy. There's just absolutely nothing negative, I'd have to say. It's been the most wonderful experience. Somebody else I won't name mentioned that the, the lack of ego has been nice, and the lack of people interrupting or trying to take over. Um, I, I don't want to say too much more, but that was what they were yeah, the gist. Do you reckon... Do you recognise uh, that scenario? Definitely. When I say generous, that's what I mean. And people are listening, people are giving, people are supportive. You're out on that stage and you feel everyone else on the stage will carry you if they need to. Have you anything to say about the working with so many women? Uh, well, I just reiterate what Rhino was saying. It is, it's, it's a brilliant team that we have and um, we're all interested in each other's story and making sure it's heard as well. And I think when there's 15 people on stage, that's the challenge, that the focus of the audience is in the right place at the right time. So it is very important that we are all team players that way. And I, in fact, a friend of mine was at the show last night and she was saying she was riveted by each story and that she said... now you kind of might glance across the stage to see where everybody else is, but you really are riveted by, you know, the individual story that's being focused on in the play. And I was delighted to hear that, you know, because I think that's what's magic about the play is that you have so many different women's stories and, you know, there's, there's somebody you can identify with. There's so many characters that are easily identified. And do you think that uh, one of the effects of Waking the Feminist has been the fact that there's a play like this on with so many female characters in the Abbey? 
I, I think so, yes, uh, because I can't imagine having it before. Yeah, um, it's great. I just hope it continues on. And also, Deirdre's voice is so amazing. I mean, I know it's, it's based on a play by Michelle Tremblay, but she's done such an incredible adaptation. And it's wonderful not only to see so many actresses, but also to see a female writer. Uh, and she's just fab. What was it like being immersed back into the 70s uh, in Ballymun? Has that had any... I mean, you, you would be of a certain age, so you might remember that a bit more than some of the younger members of the cast. Has that been interesting? Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And you look at it and you think, actually, we've come quite a long way. <laughs> you know, I know it's all about us going an awful lot further. But, I mean, some of the ideas that we hold and some of the, the hold, actually, that the Catholic Church has on us, the hold that men have on us, uh, when I say us, I mean women, you think, well, I wouldn't tolerate that today. And I, you know, so in that way, I found that very exciting. And did it make you think of your mother, your grandmother, that kind of thing, and look back at women, you know, in Ireland and the things they had to put up with? Yeah, it did. Maybe not in a direct way, because my mum is from the country, and so my grandmother was. It's a slightly different experience, but it did. And it's certainly, you know, certain things in your life or in your family's life, it's suddenly a little penny might drop, because you think, oh, yeah, that's what they believed, or whatever. And what about for you, Mary? Was there that sort of sense of learning about a, an era, or did you have memories of that era? Oh, I have memories of the era, all right. And the music is very evocative to me. It just brings me right back to, to being a kid and dancing to, to all the music we have, you know, the pre-show music and stuff. But um, I think it is fascinating because you suddenly are aware that, oh, my God, you know, a non-stick frying pan was a big deal, you know. And the sort of work-saving things that we have now that we just take for granted completely, you know. So on that basic level, it's quite interesting as well. But, I mean, I think what Ryan says is very true. It, it's so... Uh, you know, interesting to hear women, you know, quoting the bishops and all that kind of thing, and the hold that the Catholic Church had over these women and over their lives and their choices, and and how they then, you know, passed on that that kind of um, uh, thinking to to other women in their lives as well, not just themselves. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is if you could go back in time and talk to those women, what kind of messages of comfort would you give about what's coming down the line or what's going to change? Does anyone have any? Thoughts on that? Well, if I was talking to this group of women, I would say, what do you think, sisters? Because I think that they really are streets ahead of us politically in how they've learned and how they've changed things and what they fought for and what they've stood for. So, you know, I think I have a lot to learn from them. That's a very good point. (laughs) (laughs) You mean in terms of how kind of politicised their views, where they knew what was going on in the world, they were very aware of the things that were happening? Yeah, but also in in how it's changed. I mean, even in the play, the young girls, young women, don't think the same as the old women. So you see already that conflict. And then all the issues that we could touch on that we've had, say, even in the last 10 years. You know, the amount of women, working-class women, who came out and supported all of that. So I think, I feel very humbled, actually. And that's very true. When you think of the Dunstores workers at the time of apartheid and what they did, you know, and that that was extraordinary kind of uh, activity to do. And I always think of Nelson Mandela saying he, you know, he was encouraged by them. It's so brilliant, you know. So we we have a lot to learn from them too, yeah. Uh, Yeah, my name is Claire Monley and I'm playing um, Linda Lawless, who is the daughter of J.R. Lawless, who has won a million green shield stamps. Um, And she's a bit of a a kind of an interesting... um, conflict-filled relationship with her mom so um, that comes to a bit of a head during the play 
I'm Quiva Mali and I'm playing Lisa Pierce um, and I'm a friend of Linda and Janet, the other young lady in the play. And uh, yeah, Lisa, um, she, Lisa's pregnant and uh, she, um, she has to kind of try and deal with that in the course of the play. Yeah. Hi, I'm Sarah Madigan. I'm playing Janet Mooney. Uh, Janet is an interesting character. She goes to university, but she's tackling her own sort of traditional views and she completes the fabulous trio that is <laughs> Janet, Linda and Lisa. Now, there is a real generational thing going on in this play because there's so many different ages. It's everyone from a 93-year-old right down to, I don't know what age the youngest is, so 20. So as the three of the younger sort of ones, how have you found that playing out? And have you, have you been interested by the kind of contrast between what the older people and the older women and the younger women thought about things? Yeah, I mean, it... it it comes to a head a lot during the play, the, the different views between the, the generations. Um, there's, a, there's a massive face-off between them, really, when it comes down to it, particularly around Lisa's situation. Um, and how, how progressive the young people want to be, um, but how they're even still struggling against their, the traditional views that, that were imbued in them from, from, from a child. So even when Lisa um, tells her best friend, her troubles, Linda has a hard time getting her head around it, even though she considers herself quite forward-thinking. And, and then, is it, Quiva, is it interesting to think of now? So if you think of those young women who were sort of the new generation, the new hopes in the 70s, you think that they might have been able to get rid of the shackles a bit quicker, but actually even now, those shackles still are on people. Has that been something you've been thinking about? Oh, totally. Like, Graham has said to us from the get-go, he was like, try... Who are you? Who are you making this for? And I find it like really poignant and very relative that you know I go out on stage and I'm saying things um, that are so true to the women of today. And if I was in a similar situation, and as and I, th- I think of all those women who are forced to travel um, to England and other places for abortions when, like my character in the 70s, was going through the exact same um, hardship, and it, and it is quite shocking actually to think that if I was to go back to the 70s and tell the characters that you know we would still be having these same debates. So it it is it's I, I find it quite it's a it's, it's an amazing thing to play but it's also I'm very aware of it and I'm just I'm aware of all those women that are going to come to see it in the audience that you know this could be so close to them and uh yeah so it's just incredible that I get to play that and at such a time I suppose yeah yeah especially you're sitting there in your repeal jumper so it obviously means a lot to you <laughs> yeah it does it does it means a lot to me um like it's so um it's just such a important thing at the moment for our you know for people of my generation and the fact that we've never gotten to have a say on this and um yeah it's just it's 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 so interesting that you know we're playing all of the women in the play are playing women who are trapped in some sense by either society or by the way that they can't get out or uh, the religious views and it's it is such an important thing at the moment and I suppose, yeah, you're just trying to play the truth of it as, as best I can. So I'm just trying to play the truth for me and for any woman that's ever been in that situation. Have you any thoughts on the generational thing and just the where, where the older people stand versus the younger people and how it you know, informs today? I just feel that, like, every generation kind of progresses a bit. Every generation has something to fight back against. And... Um, like Quiva was saying, it's it's kind of nuts that we still 
um, are battling these traditional views that my mother's generation probably even thought was nuts back in the day, <laughs> in the 70s, which would have been around the time our, our moms were, you know, were kind of playing the characters the age that our mothers would have been. Um, and I think that it's natural. People, people will accept what the status quo is. And over time, education or in this social media age or internet, you see different points of view. And you can see that in our characters, how they're starting to question what they've been told is black and white. What was it like for you all immersing yourself in the 70s? And the clo- I know uh, some of you have had recent experiences of the 70s on stage, but what was it like for you? Um, yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was pretty special, particularly for the PR shoot, uh, I Got a Perm. Um, which was interesting, which, thank God, has not lasted into the production. <laughs> um, and I also, I had, a, I had quite a fetching orange ensemble, which, uh, which Graham then decided wasn't cool enough, because um, Linda is quite cool, and I suppose quite forward-thinking and quite progressive. In her. And I think her and Lisa particularly tried to be a bit quite fashionable and stuff. So, um, so yeah, her current get-up is, is much more flattering I think yeah. <laughs> yeah I just can't wait for my mom to see this because my mom this is definitely my, my around my mom's time and she was showing me photos of when she was going off on her honeymoon in the 70s and wearing the flares and and you know for I think for the photo shoot we were all like oh my god this is so exciting and then we put them on like we're into rehearsals now we're into opening and I was like oh god there's so much going on in the, like there's so many patterns in one little space that I was like by the end of this production I'm sure I'll just want to wear like black or white or something like neutral there's a lot going on I mean I'm loving every second I I'm embracing my sweater vest with gusto I'm loving it sweater vest or is that a tank top or is that a different thing it's a total sweater vest okay we probably don't have much more time but could you just talk about some women that you admire and who who've kicked back against the system whether in your own lives or or well-known people um, I suppose in our own lives in the current time, um, people like Lean Bell and Sarah Durkin and all the um, powerhouses behind Waking the Feminist because that has had a massive effect on me and my, even just how I feel as an artist, as a part of a community, I feel, I, I, I felt like all the feelings that we had, like I remember me and Quiva going to see the Borstal Boy a couple of years ago, loads of our mates, but there was like 20 boys on stage and we looked at it and we laughed and we were like, huh, can you imagine that ever happening? There being 20 women on the stage. And now, and I think Waking the Feminist had a big effect on the way the Abbey is run and what the Abbey are doing now. And I don't think we'd be sitting here in this cast of 15 incredible women. With like I said it to the women during, during the run, and I got in a bit of trouble, that there's actually centuries of, of experience in this cast. I, I, I wasn't popular that day, but it's true. It's true. We are, we are getting to be on stage with actors, actresses we would never have had an opportunity to be on stage with before. It's quite incredible. Um, so yeah so those women for kicking that all off is is amazing well that sounds like a great piece of theatre so if you can get to the Abbey Unmanageable Sisters adapted by Deirdre Kinahan and directed by Graham McLaren is running until April 7th that's it for now I want to thank our guests the amazing cast of the Unmanageable Sisters to all in the Abbey Theatre for helping us out with this episode the podcast is produced by Roisin Engel and by Jennifer Ryan with the rather manageable JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can download individual episodes of the podcast or subscribe to it on iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. I'm Cathy Sheridan and I'll talk to you next time. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.